0: Welcome to Active Shooter, the podcast.
1: After decades now of mass shootings, mass Mass shootings, shootings, mass mass shootings, shootings, we haven't found the answer. A
2: tribute to the victims of two mass shootings. A tribute to the victims of two mass shootings.
0: Thank you for listening to Active Shooter, the podcast.
3: You are listening to Active Shooter, a podcast that may contain adult themes, explicit language and graphic depictions of violence. Portions of this show may be traumatic for those under 18. Listener discretion is advised.
2: Deadly shooting spree at an L.A. fitness club there. A man pulls guns out of a gym bag and opens fire. Police say he killed three people before he shot and killed himself. Witnesses say people were flying off treadmills and taking cover, and the number of bullets that he allegedly fired is just staggering. The rampage happened in Bridgeville, Pennsylvania. It's a suburb of Pittsburgh. Several severely wounded people, people are in hospitals across the area this morning.
0: On August 4th, 2009, at about 8 o'clock in the evening, aerobics instructor Mary Primus informed her class that she was 10 weeks pregnant and would no longer be their instructor for the next few months. After hugs and congratulations were exchanged, Mary began her Latin Impact class at its scheduled time of 8.15 p.m. If you've listened to our prior episodes, you know that the Active Shooter podcast team has taken the No Notoriety Pledge and we will not be sharing the real name of the shooters that we cover. We will be giving the shooters a pseudonym and refer to them by that name throughout the episode. This will help in clearing up any confusion in the story while remaining true to our pledge and not naming the shooter by their actual name. In today's episode, we will be referring to the reshooter as John. At 11 a.m. on August 4th, 2009, John walked into the LA Fitness Gym and left a short time later. The gym requires the member to swipe their membership card to access the gym, but it doesn't require them to sign out to leave the gym. Therefore, investigators were unsure exactly what time he left. He returned to the gym later that evening at 7.40 p.m., and then he left to make a phone call a short time later. Phone records would show that he had stepped out of the gym to call his mother, a conversation that only lasted about five minutes. According to his mother, the conversation was just about mundane stuff and he never said anything about his plans for carrying out the attack. John, who was clean-shaven and wearing all black workout clothing, as well as a black sweatband on his head, had re-entered the gym at 7.56 p.m.
4: No, he went in three times. He went in at first at 11 something in the morning. And then we're assuming he had to leave. They don't have to check out, but they check in. And then he went back in approximately 7.40. Then he checks back in at 7.56. So we're thinking in between 7.40 and 7.56, he makes this call on his cell phone. We know it was made at 7.45. So we're assuming he went outside to make that call, and he went back in
5: at 7.56.
0: After entering the gym for the third time that day, John walked directly towards the workout room where the class was taking place. He walked with a purpose, like he knew exactly what he was doing and where he was going, not causing anyone to look twice as he made his way to the workout room. After John walked into the room, he set his black duffel bag on the ground, pulled out two Glock 9mm semi-automatic pistols, turned the lights out, and started pulling the trigger at random. He stood in one place at the workout room and pulled the trigger, never really moving around And his face expressionless. There were about 20 women in the class and they started diving for cover, falling on top of each other's bodies and screaming for dear life. After firing approximately 52 shots, John lifted the pistol up to his head and shot himself, dying instantly. About 70 people were in the entire gym itself, working out on the weight machines and other various workout equipment. Upon hearing the shots, the LA fitness staff were able to remain calm and help lead the terrified customers out of the gym.
5: Class gets started. Um, Our instructor, Mary, gave us some good news that she was expecting um, that we weren't going to have her the next couple weeks. Um, Probably around 8.10, notice a guy walking in, looks out of place, and dropped his bag. We keep continuing dancing. Next thing you know, lights go off. We're still dancing. Music is on. Um, Just pops. You think that you would know what to do in that situation, but you don't. Do I hit the floor? Um, do I? I actually grabbed onto the girl next to me um, and I just was pushing her t- towards the door. I found someone in, in a car. I, I swung open her driver's side door and I said, can I? You, you have to take me away. What took place last night I will never forget and it will take a really long time to get over. Um, but how long has he been living like this?
0: At 8.16 p.m., 911 calls started pouring into police dispatch. It took the investigators longer than usual to identify the injured and killed because all the women had workout clothes on and didn't have their IDs on their person. All of the gym members had their personal belongings stored around the gym. Three women were killed in the deadly rampage, and nine women were injured. Upon further investigation, detectives would soon discover that the fact that all the victims were women was no coincidence. John, it seemed had a very dark and deep hatred for all women. Collier Township is located in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, and in 2017 had a population of about 8,162. The town is very small and close-knit, a place where just about every lawn is perfectly manicured and everybody knows everyone. The LA Fitness Gym, where the shooting took place, is located on Washington Pike in Bridgeville, Pennsylvania, which is about 10 miles south of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You can find the gym in the Great Southern Shopping Center, which is a strip mall that also houses restaurants, stores, and a home goods store. Whatever kind of workout you are looking to have, LA Fitness offers it. The converted department store has five racquetball courts, free weights, weight machines, a swimming pool, basketball court, treadmills, and ellipticals, making it a very diverse place to work out.
2: When we were kids, exercise was easy. We played tag, soccer, and -and hide-and-go-seek. Running, kicking, and jumping until the streetlights came on. It was exercise, but it was fun. Then as we grew, we traded playing for working out to stay fit. It became a chore, a task. Words like, I can't, and I'll start tomorrow crept into our heads. But then, whoever said working out can't be fun? There's a place where the best exercise is the one you love to do. Where staying fit takes the form of kickbox cardio, Zumba classes, and enjoying the most state-of-the-art equipment around. Where I can't has been replaced with I can. I am. And I did. Let's keep running, kicking, and jumping to our heart's content. In a place that lets you work out any way you want. LA Fitness.
0: Three victims that lost their lives that night were looking forward to a night of exercise and conversing with friends. Heidi Overmeyer was a 46-year-old from Carnegie, Pennsylvania, another suburb of Pittsburgh. She worked as a sales manager at an amusement park called Kennywood, which is the area's largest amusement park. Heidi worked behind the scenes, and her boss said that she was instrumental in keeping the park operating and functioning efficiently. She grew up in West Mifflin, Pennsylvania, yet another Pittsburgh suburb. She was the youngest of five children and attended Penn State University. Heidi was a single mom to her 15-year-old son, Ian, and she was very active in her church. She would write and direct a Christmas play for the children at her church, and she would go the extra mile and even make the costumes for the play. Heidi had a love for life, and she was friendly and hardworking. She took great pride in landscaping around her home, even building a rock wall in front of her house. She was preceded in death by her younger brother and father.
1: Why couldn't she have been one foot over? Why couldn't she have stepped one foot back? You know, why was she in that spot? The, yeah, the waterfall is just endless, and that's how we feel. Heidi is. I mean, she's never, she's gone, but she didn't leave us.
6: She was a great gal. I think the thing I liked about Heidi the most was as soon as you saw her, a big smile would always come on her face, and her smile just jumped, jumped out at you right away.
0: Elizabeth Gannon, was a 49-year-old woman from Green Tree, Pennsylvania. Green Tree is a suburb of Pittsburgh. Elizabeth preferred to be called Betsy. Betsy was an x-ray technician at Allegheny General Hospital. She was divorced, and she didn't have any children. She treated her red Labrador retriever, Lady, as her child. She also enjoyed spending time with her nieces and nephews. Betsy lived most of her life in the brick house that she was raised in. She graduated from Bishop Canavan High School in 1978, Those closest to Betsy said that she was a wonderful and loving person who never had a bad day. Her mother had passed away 20 years prior, succumbing to cancer, and her father died when Betsy was just two years old from a heart attack. When her neighbor, Carl Ratty, noticed police at Betsy's house, he went over and asked them who they were looking for. After the police finished telling Carl what had happened, he explained to the authorities that Betsy was like a daughter to him. The police then asked him to come down to the morgue to identify Betsy's body. Carl was able to affirm what the detectives already knew. It was Betsy laying on the table, covered in a white sheet.
3: Betsy's
1: smile was contagious. And her friends say she always wore it. They say it was clear how Gannon adored her dog Lady, her job in radiology, and her boyfriend, Mike Innerthal. And they say she certainly wouldn't want them to cry. Betsy would all want us to know that... uh
0: go on with life. Jody Billingsley was a 38 year old mom from Mount Lebanon, another Pittsburgh suburb. She grew up in Utica, Pennsylvania and attended Franklin area schools. She was a very successful basketball player. She received her doctorate in physical therapy and worked for a medical equipment company called Medtronic Incorporated. She worked long hours helping doctors install high-tech pain management devices. Jody's parents, Leon and Judith, commented that Judy always had a way of making everyone feel important. She always lived life to the fullest, and she had a passion for all Pittsburgh sports teams, especially the Pittsburgh Steelers. In fact, the same year Jody was killed, she had traveled to Florida to watch the Steelers play and win the Super Bowl. Jody enjoyed being in the company of those closest to her. She had an annual Christmas party every year at her home and enjoyed catering to her guests. In addition to working out at the gym... Jody enjoyed being outdoors, running and biking. About 400 people showed up at Jody's funeral to show their respect for the young woman.
1: The sadness, emptiness and uncertainty is echoed through Jody Billingsley's friends. The 37-year-old one-time star high school basketball player spent her days gardening, attending sporting events and working out as she was on the day she died. I just admired her. John Williams and his wife waved goodbye to their neighbor moments before she was killed. She was a beautiful girl, very sweet, very nice, very friendly.
0: We will be right back after this short message. As mentioned earlier, the fact that John killed only women that night wasn't a coincidence. Born on September 30th, 1960, John lived what some may call an ordinary life until he reached his adult years. He lived in Carnegie, Pennsylvania, and graduated from the University of Pennsylvania. About nine months prior to the shooting, John had started an online journal. Upon discovery and review of his journal, it didn't take long for investigators to confirm that John had a deep hatred for women. He complained that he hadn't had a girlfriend since 1984, and at 48 years old, hadn't been intimate since he was 29 years old. John also hadn't been on a date since May of 2008.
6: May 18th, 2009. I actually had a date today. It was with a woman I met on the bus in March. We got together at 2PPG Place for lunch. The last date for me was May 1st, 2008. Women just don't like me. 30 million desirable women in the U.S., my estimate, and I cannot find one. Not one of them finds me attractive. I'm looking at the list I made for the May 4th idea. I forgot about that for several days. That tells me where I stand. These problems have gotten worse over a 30-year period. I need to expect nothing from me or other people. All through the years, I thought we had the ability to change ourselves. I guess that's incorrect. Looking at the list makes me realize how totally alone a deeper word is. Isolated. I am from all else.
0: John worked as a system analyst at a law firm called K&L Gates. And had been with the company since nineteen ninety nine. Before he started working at KL Gates, he was employed at Development Dimensions International. John had never been married, and although he said that he had fathered a child back in nineteen ninety one, this has never been confirmed. The need for a female companion in John's life was evident in John's online journal. He was simply tired and frustrated of being rejected by women. So frustrated that he attended three day long seminars learning how to date women. We don't know a lot about John's family, as it seems he wasn't very close to them. He only spoke of them with disdain. We know he has a mother, father, sister, and a brother. He spoke about never having a very good relationship with his father, and even calling him a useless sperm donor. His brother also lived in Pennsylvania, and according to John, he was a big bully, and he was twice the size of most other people. He enjoyed harassing and embarrassing other men in front of their girlfriends. John explained that his brother was the kind of guy you'd love to hate. John's mother lived in Pennsylvania as well, and in his blog refers to her as the central boss. She was the boss of the entire house, and he warned other people not to upset his mother, for she will be vindictive for years. John said in his blog that his sister was more of a victim than anything else, and was very controlling of her adult children, John's niece and nephew. Unfortunately, the only other information we have about John's family is what he said in his blog, and none of the information he does share with the world says anything good about them. After the shooting, John's family did release a statement saying that their hearts went out to the victims, and they apologized for their son's actions. John also explained in his writings his confusion as to why he couldn't get a date or a girlfriend. He stated that he dressed well and was clean-shaven along with a steady career, yet he was still unable to find love.
6: December 29th, 2008. Just got back from tanning. Been doing this for a while. No gym today. My elbow is sore again. actually look good. I dress good. I'm clean shaven, bathed, touch of cologne. Yet yeah, million women reject me over an 18 or 25 year period. That is how I see it. 30 million is my rough guesstimate of how many desirable single women there are. A man needs a woman for confidence. He gets a boost on the job, career, with other men and everywhere else when he knows inside he has someone to spend the night with and who is also a friend. This type of life I see is a closed world with me specifically and totally excluded. Every other guy does this successfully to a degree. Flying solo for many years is a destroyer. Yet many people say I am easy to get along with, etc. Looking back, I owe nothing to desirable females who ask for anything except for basic courtesy, usually. Looking back over everything, what bothers me most is the inability to work towards whatever change I choose.
0: John's YouTube channel is still accessible on YouTube. There are only two videos that he uploaded. One of the videos is him standing in front of a camera, giving a motivational speech of sorts, telling people how he could hide from emotion.
4: It is easy for me to hide from my emotions for one more day. Take a long drive in the car, listen to some music, daydream, or just do some mundane task around the house that really doesn't need to be done, that's, that's not too important. And there you go, one more day and one more day turns into one more year. Now um, RDS says that I have approximately maybe 15 more years to be successful at this and when I heard that I wanted to continue immediately to, to start moving on this. I didn't realize I had that much time. So my objective is to be real and to learn to be emotional and to, to, you know, to be able to emotionally connect with people. Because when I'm 10 to 20 years older than she is, you know, she has to feel good about this thing. And the only way to, around that, you know, is, is to work on this and perhaps STEM exercises or a forgiveness exercises as per hay or, or whatever else. I'm going to post this and see what comes back.
0: The second video is, as he described it in the caption, an overview of my pad. It is John holding a camera, walking around his house and giving the viewers a video tour of his home. This video lasts just over four minutes long.
4: This is a two bedroom brick ranch, conveniently located. Inside, okay. Here's my big screen TV. 32 inch. It's my computer. Computer is connected to the stereo, which I listen to my MP3s and everything else. Pan to the other side. Speakers on each side are large, they double as end tables. (laughs) Okay, couch and chair, they match. The woman will be really be impressed. Little hallway, two bedrooms. Two bedrooms. To the right is my bedroom. Extra computer here, they're networked. I'll show you the Cat5 connections downstairs. Okay, there's, looks pretty clean. I'm sure she'll be impressed. Now this back bedroom I use just for storage. Got a lot of junk here. And as we could see, uh, bottles of cologne and spare change and shoebox full of old pictures and photographs and stuff and come over here and there's cds and all kinds of electronic gear i bought since joining the list tapes and so on
0: each video has well over a hundred thousand views but this is probably due to the disturbing fame he received from the shooting while investigators were looking into john's online blog They discovered that this isn't the first time John thought about conducting a mass attack. John decided January 6th, 2009 was going to be the day of the attack. Listen to the following blog excerpt as to what transpired.
6: January 6th, 2009. I can do this. Leaving work today, I felt like a zombie. Just going through the motions, get on the bus, get in the car, drive home. My mind is screwed up anymore. I can't concentrate at work or think at all. This log is not detailed. It is only for confidence to do this. The future holds even less than what I have today. It is 6.40 p.m., an hour and a half to go. God have mercy. I wish life could be better for all and this crazy world can somehow run smoother. I wish I had answers. Bye. It is 8.45 p.m. I chickened out. Shit! I brought the loaded gun and everything. Hell.
0: The police received a message from John's pastor not long after the shooting. The pastor had discovered that his full name, address, and phone number was listed on John's blog. John wrote in his blog that this pastor had convinced John that you can commit mass murder and still go to heaven. He then blogged on, encouraging readers to contact the pastor and ask him about this. John continued saying that he attended the Pittsburgh church due to guilt and fear for 13 years. He quit going to church in November of 2006. One of John's neighbors, Patricia, would later find out that he wrote about her college-aged daughter in his blog. John explained in explicit detail how much he enjoyed looking at Patricia's daughter from his house. Patricia said that he seemed like a semi-normal guy. He wasn't very social, but would say hello to them, and otherwise, he kept to himself. Understandably, Patricia and her fiancé were shocked to hear the news—not only about what John had done, but what he had written about Patricia's daughter.
1: Really devastating. Um, just knowing that that he was uh, doing the things that he did, and the journal he was keeping, and uh, the just that he was—you know—going out for young girls, and knowing what he said on July 23rd about my daughter—it's um, just so devastating to to know that somebody like that lived right across the street from you. He wrote about your daughter in his journal. Uh, in one of the entries, um, he, he mentions your fiancé by name. He writes, I just looked out my front window and saw a beautiful college-age girl leave Bob Fox's house across the street. Uh, she was long-haired, hot little hottie with a beautiful bod. I, I won't continue because it is just disgusting. Um, it's, it's just so overwhelming, um, it, just, not, just the idea of somebody like that, um, thinking like that. Um, for a young girl, I mean, my daughter is, is a college student, and uh, you know, just to think that if I would lose somebody like that, I don't know what I would do. Um, it's just so devastating. What, what was it's he like? So, was there any indication that he was a disturbed individual? no he uh he seemed pretty um focused on life he he seemed happy um i felt like he was just a, a loner who who uh, liked to keep to himself um he would say hi on occasion and uh just just never thought that somebody like that would would be so capable of of what he's done um well monday uh my fiance and I talked to him briefly. Um, my fiance had surgery and he was asking about the surgery and um, saying that he was happy that he's doing well and he seemed very concerned and uh, like he was a just trusty, worthy, nice kind of guy that you could trust. I would have left him in my house anytime and, you know, just the fear now knowing what he did. Um, it's just that you can't trust anybody these days. It's just. So devastating and, and just so hard to, to take in. It's just awful. It's just terrible.
0: About one week before the shooting, on July 27, 2009, at around 7 a.m., John had contact with the police because a person reported seeing a man on the public bus handling what looked like a grenade. The eyewitness reported he had seen a man come onto the bus take a seat and pull what looked to be a grenade out of a computer-type bag. The man then proceeded to play with the grenade. The witness was shown a picture of John, and while the man with the grenade looked very similar to the man in the picture, the witness could not be a 100% certain they were one of the same. The police spoke with John and asked him if he was the person on the bus with what appeared to be a grenade. Of course, John denied that he had done such a thing. The witness also said he couldn't be sure that the grenade was real. However, it appeared authentic. Because the witness was not able to identify the man or even say if the grenade was real, coupled with John denying the claims, no charges were filed against John. John had left over $225,000 to his alma mater, the University of Pennsylvania. However, the school had no interest in collecting the money. In addition to his estate, which was valued at $225,000, his home was worth $75,000. Numerous victims sued John's estate for their injuries, as well as pain and suffering. At one point, there were 21 different lawsuits pending that involved the victims suing John's estate for the LA Fitness Gym. The instructor that we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, Mary Primus, sued John's estate for $175,000. Her husband, Alex, also listed as a plaintiff, They sued on seven different counts, including battery, stress, and harm while pregnant, which could result in a possible miscarriage, post-traumatic stress disorder, and emotional mental ailments. She was 26 years old and 10 weeks pregnant. Mary was shot twice in the shoulder and had to spend seven days in the hospital because of her injuries. Thankfully, her baby wasn't injured or harmed in any way as a result of the shooting. Miraculously, Mary gave birth to a perfectly healthy little boy in March of 2010, who she named Oliver.
5: I was on the floor face down, so I didn't see a whole lot of it, so when I did finally look up, it was um, it was very scary, there was a lot of chaos. That night, I actually announced to my class that I was pregnant, and it was actually supposed to be my last night. For a little while, I was going to back off. Around quarter after eight, um, the lights went out, and seconds later, I started to hear what it sounded like a popping sound to me. Um, and I didn't know what it was. There were women screaming, people were running. I thought maybe the lights were exploding because I didn't recognize the sound. So I hit the floor because everybody else did. And um, it must have been seconds later I, I was shot for the first time. And that's when I realized what was happening. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't until I, I felt the first bullet and I realized what was happening. Um, and then I felt the second one. But I remember everything like it was yesterday. This can't be real. It felt like a scene from a movie. It was the first thing I thought about. The first thing I thought about was, was him and um, how it would affect my pregnancy. You know, every mother has a, a special bond with her children, but I think, at least in my, in my heart, we have an even more special bond because of what we went through together. I think that when you go through something that is uh, tragic or traumatic, um, you can learn from it in the end, and it just becomes, you know, part of who you are. Be able to show him, you know, how fantastic he is.
0: During the investigation, it was no secret that John was experiencing severe sexual frustration. The two days prior to the shooting, John took off of work so he could practice his routine and memorize exactly what he planned to do on August 4, 2009.
6: August 3rd, 2009. I took today off, Monday, and tomorrow to practice my route and make sure it is well polished. I need to work out every detail. There's only one shot. Also, I need to be completely immersed into something before I can be successful. Haven't had a drink since Friday at about 2.30. Total effort needed. Tomorrow is the big day.
0: His obvious downward spiral didn't raise the eyebrows of anyone around him. But then again, he didn't really have anyone around that would have noticed his behavior anyways. He didn't have any contact with his family members, nor did he have any friends. Be sure that if you have friends or even acquaintances that you notice have become more withdrawn, make sure to check up on them and let them know you care. That does it for today's episode of Active Shooter. Please remember, if you see something, say something. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks. A huge shout out to Nate from Journey into Comics Network podcast for reading John's online excerpts for us. You can check them out at www.journeyintocomics.com or on all major podcasting platforms by searching Journey Into Comics Network.
3: Hey friendos, my name is Danny B and I host Retrostalgia. It's a critical analysis of every book, TV show, movie, and video game that I've been told is missing from my life. Enjoy a blast from the past every other week as I, a somewhat sheltered millennial, give my honest opinion and explicitly make fun of a bunch of stuff from before I was even born. My plan is to cover all of the stuff I haven't done, from finally watching The Shining and Twin Peaks, playing Banjo-Kazooie, reading Pride and Prejudice, and everything in between that sounds like a good time you can listen to the pod on spotify and google podcasts as well as on anchor where you can also find a full list of all of the places to listen to retrostalgia just go to anchor.fm slash or search for retrostalgia in the anchor app if you want to follow the pod it's on twitter tumblr and instagram at RetrostalgiaPod. anyway my name is Danny b reminding you to be kind please rewind I'm Vicki. I'm Janelle. And we like talking about murder. Like a lot. Like John Wayne Gacy. Nanny Doss. Uh, Ted Bundy. Um, did someone say Jeffrey Dahmer? And maybe a little Jim Jones. Oh, definitely Jim Jones. <laughs> <laughs> if you like any of this, join us every other week on the Bad Taste Crime Cast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever podcasts are hosted. Yeah, guys. We'll see you there.
0: <laughs> Sources for this episode Patrick Wainus from patrickwainus.com, Emily Feidman from ABC News, Post Staff Report, Paula Devin from NOLA.com, Fox News, CBS News, the Associated Press, David Grachick from New York Daily News, Jill Greenwood from TribLive.com, Abby Tatton from CNN, NBC News. Michael Foucault and Lillian Thomas from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Andrew Rush from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and Susan Candiotti from CNN.